Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 129th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is empathy, grace, and getting along. I have the pleasure to be joined by Sarah L. Kaufman. She is the author of The Art of Grace on Moving Well Through Life. The publisher is Norton and Company. Sarah was a Pulitzer Prize-winning dance critic for The Washington Post. She held that position for almost 30 years. She is now teaching in Harvard's Extension School, offering courses in journalism, etc. Welcome to the show, Sarah. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. And I must have a, a shout out first to my good friend, Randall Burt, uh, who is the, the pitcher of grace and suggested that I have you on the show as a guest. So thank you, Randall. So that said, let's proceed. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of the book? Or if not that, uh, what caused you to write this book? Right. So as you mentioned, I was the dance critic of the Washington Post for a number of years. And my challenge was always to come up with new things to write about my beat, not just the dance on the stage, but kind of where dance existed in our everyday lives. You know, how could I use my dance critic's eye on daily life? And I thought, it might be an interesting challenge to write about actors in movies, not dancers, but just regular actors, and how their movement and behavior on the screen deepened their characterizations. And the first movie I turned to, because I thought, I'm going to go to the golden age of Hollywood, where kind of the blocking out of a scene and the way people moved was just very much a part of the overall filming um, aesthetic. The first movie I decided to watch was The Philadelphia Story with Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. And literally, I was seized by Cary Grant in the first moments of that movie. Um, There was just something, you know, there was something in the way he moved. Um, It was just like poetry in motion. And I was so captivated by watching him, his elegance, his smoothness, just the way he leaned in when he was speaking to Catherine Hepburn or the way he leaned away or just his body language that conveyed so much longing and uh, indecision and and yearning. Um, Really struck me and I found it very moving. And after I wrote my essay, which ended up being primarily about Cary Grant, I was left thinking about what was it that was so magnetic about him. And, you know, I watched more and more of his movies and the word that just dropped into my mind was grace. And as a dance critic and as a former dancer, 
I knew something about grace of movement, but the qualities of empathy and understanding and warmth and compassion that come through in an actor's characterization on film in the way that Cary Grant did. And of course, this is subjective. There's other, many other wonderful actors who can convey so much empathy kind of wordlessly. Um, those qualities of grace, you know, I wasn't that sure of how to even understand them, what they meant, why they were so impactful. And I started looking into this and realized that there wasn't a whole lot written about kind of what we consider the social graces, um, being a warm and welcoming host, for example, or just being a great friend and listening, uh, passing someone on the sidewalk and flashing a smile that can just be so uplifting. Those kinds of elements of like everyday grace hadn't really been written about in a book form, <clears throat> excuse me, so much. And I thought it would be interesting to explore. Okay, well, I think we're going to take on the larger purview of that, but I, I think we're going to start with Cary Grant because he was the start for you in all of this. And, and I must agree that if someone doesn't appreciate Cary Grant's uh, gracefulness on screen, then I probably don't want to know that person because <laughs> it's just such a wonderful quality that he has. Now, on the other hand, I think you rightly point out that as great of an actress as she is, I wouldn't say that Catherine Hepburn would uh, embody grace necessarily. And I think of a, not sure who said this, but there was someone who said that uh, Catherine Hepburn showed, showed all the emotions from A to B and back again. <laughs> and, and that has too often been my response to her. But Cary Grant is, is wonderful. And that is a, you know, Philadelphia story is wonderful. Uh, to me, just as much so is uh, an affair to remember, which you mentioned in the book. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, and these are these qualities are also, like I said, you know, they're subjective. Um, and um, and I think, you know, there are I, I think Catherine Hepburn was known for more, you know, her sort of superpower as an actor was really this force of personality, yes. forthrightness. Um, almost like a crispness, really, uh, you know, you're fascinated watching her just make her way through a problem and think about it, come to a solution, you know, so, um, so she just had a different kind of presentation on the screen in many ways. Um, Carrie, yeah, she, she was, a, she was, a, she was a force of nature. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, and Carrie Grant, on the other hand, you know, in addition to being a really fine actor and an underestimated one, I think, because, you know, he was sort of considered a movie star, a sort of, you know, extraordinarily handsome. And he had this great diction, this wonderful sort of continental sure. accent, but he was really a great actor, but he was also so connected to his body because he had been an acrobat, a circus performer. Yep. Yep. And that gave him a certain fluidity and finesse with his movement, a way to use movement that he knew about, you know, that he was very expert at communicating through body yeah. language. So no, I, and I agree with all of that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, an 
ungraceful host, and I'm going to try to complicate the picture of Cary Grant a little bit, if, if you're going to forgive me. Because I, I think a couple of the quotes you have in the book actually begin to hint at this, because at one point he says, even I want to be Cary Grant. Or he talks about the hope that he might eventually relax inwardly, because, you know, you know the story of Cary Grant, and I do, and probably a lot of people, but he came from you know, a difficult background, and his mother was committed to uh, basically almost like an insane asylum. And he was um, well known uh, for being a, a tightwad and a bit of a control freak. In fact, his wife, uh, Diane Cannon, once referred to him half-jokingly as the master. So part of what I find interesting about Cary Grant is he is so graceful on stage. He was often so graceful in his interactions with other people. But there certainly was another aspect to him, a complexity, which makes his grace, to me, in some ways, all the more remarkable. Yes, I I think that's a really good point. And, you know, grace doesn't require us to be perfect, right? So we're, you know, none of us is perfect. And and sometimes the... um, Flaws, you know, the the sort of human dimensions are are interesting. Um, so I, you know, Cary Grant was married, I think, five times. I mean, he, he you know, had a lot of failed marriages, um, but but still, there was a certain, as far as I've been able to research, and of course, I never knew him personally, but I read just about every book about him and. You know, as far as I've been able to research, it seems like from the preponderance of evidence, there was really a certain decency about him. He was generous to his fellow actors in the field. He was, you know, generous to audiences. And, you know, it's a hard life to be a celebrity and have a lot of expectations put on you. Um, so, uh, you know, but but I, I think a, a, my point in the book is that using celebrities as examples to some extent can be useful because they sort of, you know, we project so much onto them. They kind of hold our dreams. They're sort of like our dream selves up there on the big screen. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so it's kind of interesting to pick out the ones that, yeah, I I, I think that guy is a, you know, he just seems like a nice person. I get a great feeling from him or from her. Um, And that's, that's really just the point. And there are many other people we can, we can look at for sure. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll come to some of those, but I think make sure that we don't lose the opportunity to get to the, the bigger picture. Cause I think you really, um, you know, you, you elevate the game of the book and the world, the writing of this book is wonderful, by the way, for anyone who's interested in picking up a copy, I urge you to do so. But, um, you know, in the larger picture of the book, you're talking about how we have a grace gap. We have an empathy gap. Uh, we have an abundance of narcissism, unfortunately, in the society. We have reality TV that you said thrives on disgrace, not grace. Can you talk about the origins of grace as a term even a little bit and, and empathy and um, compassion and, and why this is so important and what the society doesn't seem to quite value or exhibit as much as it could these days? Right. So, you know, in human nature, I mean, we're we're driven to survive and to to you know get food and to procreate and to find shelter, and we're also driven to connect with one another. I mean, that's the strength of our species, really, is that we can get along and and we've come up with mechanisms to be able to work together. Um, that's civilization, right? And it's not always easy. Uh, every 
generation sort of has to work these things out all over again. We don't seem to learn very well um, over time. We haven't perfected it (laughs) by any means. Um, And, you know, moments come where things feel particularly kind of spiky and fraught. And I, I think we can all agree we're sort of in one of those moments now where Yes, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of battling. Um, There's just so much uh, shouting people people out and criticizing people for who they are, for who, you know, for things they can't help being. I mean, my mother always told me, I know most of our mothers probably said the same thing. (laughs) You can't criticize someone if they can't help it. Like they can't help it. You don't point those things out. And yet we're forgetting that. and there's an intolerance, I feel like, that, uh, that has kind of taken hold and um, an, an idea of, you know, something like grace feels very old fashioned, but really it's been with us forever. I mean, from the ancients, there was the idea of compassion and generosity and thinking about others before oneself. So the idea of the three graces of mythology, they're not goddesses. They were the kind of helpers of Aphrodite, the you know main sort of central goddess. Um, they were like uh, uh, kind of or, or almost ordinary um, beings who were there to be helpful to make things easy for her to serve and to, uh, you know, attend to needs and to sort of lubricate the, um, the good times to kind of, um, bring about a sense of cheerfulness and fun and, um, pleasure. And, and that's the idea that grace has always had. It's really, um, an extension of love. You know, if you look at spiritual grace, whatever the religious tradition in the Christian tradition, in Judaism, in Buddhism, in, you know, all kinds of world traditions, and even in non-specific kind of spiritual traditions, there's generally an idea of love, love coming from just the universe, just like we can sort of tap into it to help us get through something. That yeah, no, in fact, you specifically mentioned Hebrew and Muslim both have a word for compassion that has relationship to, to grace. Yes. And um, it really does root it in the spiritual dimension. Um, speaking of being a good host and all that, at one point you make mention of Miss Manners for a bit. I have to relate my all-time favorite Miss Manners column where, if I remember correctly, the hostess tripped on her own gown, fell into a, a bowl of avocado, popped out of her bodice. And the guests broke out laughing and someone wrote in to say, was it wrong to laugh? And Miss Manners wrote back, uh, to, to not have laughed would have been to suggest that this happens all the time <laughs> and, and, would, and would also keep you from being human because it was quite funny. And I just thought it was such a charming response that she gave. Absolutely. She's a genius. Um, Judith Martin, who is a colleague at the Washington Post, uh, aka Miss Manners, she's absolutely brilliant. 
Yeah. So um, I mentioned earlier my good friend Randall Burt, who uh, inspired me to have you on the show, which I'm most grateful for. So Randall and I both happen to be tennis players, and you have an entire chapter on uh, sports figures, and I want to maybe touch on a few of those before we run out of time. But most of all, since Grace is still with us in the form of Roger Federer, you have some wonderful descriptions of Roger's game with a, a forehand, you say, that is devastatingly liquid, for instance. Um, you want to say a few words about Roger? So, yeah, Roger Federer. What a pleasure to study Roger Federer, right? I mean, there's absolutely an aesthetic quality to the way he plays tennis. Um, and, you know, it's an art form. And in my opinion, what underpins it all is this amazing idea of grace, the ability to um, to be predictably organized, but also just electrifyingly spontaneous, and to do all of that with a sense of effortlessness, just the ease of him, the and there's just such a, a moment-to-moment pleasure in watching him play um, that it really is elevated to the realm of art. I mean, one of the functions of art is to prompt us to see things new, to see the everyday in a new way and to devise new meanings from it. And I, I feel like Roger Federer does that for me, I mean, pulls me into just an instant and direct involvement with. Well, in fact, I mean, he, he really dances on the court. It's, it's amazing. And then he's so graceful in the interviews afterwards. So, you know, you mentioned there's two other, obviously very great, all time great uh, male tennis players right now, Nadal, which I think you rightly describe as a bit of a linebacker. I mean, he just <laughs> plows through and devastates his opponents. And Jokovic, I don't remember if you had a description, but there's a way in which Jokovic, who is a fabulous player and arguably actually the greatest of all three of them in terms of all time accomplishments, but when he gives his howl at the end of winning matches sometimes, mm-hmm. I'm afraid I think of a hyena, which is which is not exactly a graceful animal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and and like grace is, you know, grace is not the be all and end all of everything. Like not everything true, in true. life has to be graceful. But the point I, I hope to be making in the book is to notice these moments of grace, like the, the fruits of noticing grace um, just can be can give us such pleasure and a cause to reflect on the moment you know the pleasures of the moment the peace of the moment and i that to me is sort of the distinction with federer is that he's just such a pleasure to watch you're so involved with him because he's got this ease and this bounce this flow that's not spiky and sharp it's it's very positive it's sort of smooth and almost rounded the quality of his play that it's it almost is a sort of perfected almost perfected view of humanness you know that's that's just so so lovely to watch and as you mentioned off the court as well he has those those qualities of generosity, of kind of being in command of himself and and looking out for others, speaking about others, always expressing gratitude and kind of a warmth and, and humility as well. And, and he had to work to get there because he admitted and, and the videotape exists of him uh, pouting and getting quite angry 
uh, during matches, you know, earlier in his career. Very true. Uh, but he, but he stepped up his game uh, in every sense of the word, and uh, is really quite amazing. I, I want to mention just as a as a personal favor to you, if you haven't already been there, there's a restaurant in New Orleans called the Commander's Palace, <laughs> and I've never been at a place where the waiters had a more exquisite sense of when to suddenly reappear, only when you need them, without even having to ask, and then otherwise being you know absent and allowing you to enjoy the meal. I love that. Um, so um, that that's certainly one place moving outside of sports. But um, there was at least one that surprised me a lot. But I could see the point the more I read your descriptions. I wouldn't have easily gotten to the idea that Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister when I was studying at Oxford, uh, was uh, graceful. Um, you know, she was sometimes referred to, I think, unfairly as the Iron Maiden. Uh, you also mentioned she was one time called Attila the Hen, which was kind of funny. But um, I, I, you kind of won me over, but let's see if you can win over listeners. How is it that Margaret Thatcher exhibits grace? So, you know, <clears throat> Margaret Thatcher, her oh, politics yeah. her politics aside, uh, because that's absolutely uh, up for debate. I mean, I mean, everything, you know, this is all pretty subjective and and um, and her politics are not what I would consider my politics, for example. But she really embraced her femininity and she used it. So she used it in a way to kind of put a, a almost like a silk covering, you know, on her uh, perhaps more um, uh, you know, steely, res steely resolve, I might say. Yeah, the steely resolve is a good way to put it. You know, she had this soft hairdo. She had a very plummy way of speaking. Uh, she used a sense of humor. She yes. definitely used her body language, you know, soft shoulders and kind of a, a turn side to side as she would, you know, address members of parliament and even in public speaking. Um, so she was very canny in her use of grace. I wouldn't say she's the epitome of grace at all, but I think that she's an interesting example of the way grace in that way, the kind of um, external way can be used to affect by a politician. Okay. I think that's that's fair enough. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for today, but I want to thank you so much for having been my guest. Uh, this is episode 129 of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. My guest, Sarah L. Kaufman. She is the author of The Art of Grace on Moving Well Through Life. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, as you know, I like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, looking around for a nice quote on grace, I found this from Friedrich Schiller, who said, grace is the beauty of form under the influence of freedom. Until next time, take care and be well. Mm -hmm.